Take your Bibles and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 as we take another installment of the chase. Today we're going to look at how people move towards protecting their reputation as their attempt to find fulfillment in life and meaning in life. And I'll start with a uh, sport that is, uh, they say that this sport, now I'll just tell you before I get into it, it doesn't sound like a sport to me, but it, that's what they call it. It is on its way out, I'm told. This is the sport of ferret legging. How many of you know the sport? All right, well, here's the deal. You can look it up on Wikipedia, uh, but here's the basic gist of the whole thing. It seems to have grown out of those days in England when only the aristocracy could afford or, or were allowed to have hunting animals, bird dogs, that kind of thing. And uh, so poachers had to find a way to circumvent the system. And so it is said that some poachers would catch ferrets and they would use them. By the way, you know what a ferret is? It's a cross between a weasel and a demon. And, uh, and uh, so poachers would get these things and in order to smuggle them past you know, the rich people who said you couldn't have them, they would have to stick them into their pants. And so ferret legging is a sport, honestly, truth here. You think I'm making this up. Here's the basic idea. You take a pair, of, this is a men's sport. They tried to do an adjustment for women years ago and the women were smarter than the guys. They said, we'll have none of that, thank you. So the deal is a guy would take his pants, tie them at the ankle, they would take a ferret for each pant leg and they would stick them down into their pants and cinch their belt up. And the one who won the competition was the one who could stand in front of the judges with two ferrets down his pant legs for as long as possible. Now here's some interesting little rules that they developed for this. The guy who's participating could not be drunk. I'm thinking that just rules the whole crew out, but nor could he be in a drug-induced state. In other words, they want you to feel the full brunt of this particular sport. Um, For many years, the record was about 15 minutes or so. Uh, One guy decided that he would kind of ramp it up just to let the participants, not the participants, but the spectators see just how serious this sport was. He started wearing white pants to the competition so that everybody could see how bloody his legs were over the course of, if you don't know what a ferret looked like, you should go pick a, get a picture of him at some point. Uh, eventually, one guy moved the world's record to five and a half hours with two ferrets in his pants. Ferret legging. Some people will do dumb stuff to be known. Now, with that in mind, let's ask this question. How worried are you about your reputation? Now, I'll tell you, this is one of those questions that you can fall off of the horse on either side. There are those people who absolutely do not care what people think about them. They tend to be some of the most obnoxious jerks on the planet. There's a balance you got to find because on the other side, you can fall off the other side of the horse and you can be concerned about what everybody thinks about you and then you're the most miserable person on earth. So somewhere in the process of all of that, you got to find some peace of mind as to what is the point where you stay right in the middle of where that horse is and you stay up on top of that. What 
concern do you have about your reputation? And now let me put the Christian twist to it and say, if your reputation damages the reputation of Christ, you're in trouble or your life is in trouble. One of the things that our teenagers began to throw out several years ago, now we still see it every once in a while, is that idea that we should try to make Jesus famous. Well, I like the sentiment of that. The fact is, he's already famous. Uh, what they're driving at for us is they recognize that a lot of adults make him infamous instead. When you pursue your reputation as if it is what matters in life and what is going to bring you fulfillment and happiness and all of that, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes has something to say to you. So we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and let's look now at verses 21 and 22. Very simple passage, uh, and I want to take this today and be very practical in how we approach this. The fact of the matter is that there are people in this world, maybe even people in this room, who specialize in hacking on people. You understand what I mean by that term, hacking on people? Just picture a kid out in the back with, a, with just a hatchet and a big log, and he just continues to hack away. And people do that to us, maybe to you, on a consistent basis. And it leaves us asking the question, why? Well, let's look at what the writer of Hebrew, oh, excuse me, Ecclesiastes has to say to us. Verse 21, chapter 7, he says this, Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed other people. Here's the basic idea that we get. As the writer of Ecclesiastes is beginning to hint to us in several places, and he'll come full bore at the end of the book to let us know this, that as we come to this idea of the chase in life, as we're seeking fulfillment and meaning and happiness and all of those things, and we look all over the place, according to what he said in this book so far, at the end of the day, we come and we find all of those things we need for life in a commitment to God, we would say, through Jesus Christ, and that's where we find home for us. That's the proper focus of our chase. But we get messed up, and we chase money, and we chase power, and all kinds of other things. Some would say, and these are those um, simplistic Christians, would say that if you just get your life straight with God, and you seek to please him, then you won't have any problems in life. I like to say it this way, and especially now, it's getting ready to be honey season. We like to say, it'll be all honey with no bees. Well, we have some experts on bees in this church that tell you it's not possible to have honey without bees. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the final beatitude, blessed are you when you are persecuted. The fact of the matter is nobody was more persecuted than he was. So the idea that says if I just get my life straight with God, all these problems go away is just, well, there's a theological term I like to use for that kind of thinking. It's crazy. It's just nuts. Life's going to have problems. And one of the problems that we get is that we get flack from other people. You understand the term flack? It's actually a German word. And here it is for you German speakers, Flieger Averkanon. 
Flieger Averkanon. It is literally translated, pilot warding off ammo. Cannon. It came out of World War II. And these pilots, as they were flying in to bomb Germany, they developed these things that they would shoot up. And it, it, was, it was good if they could hit an airplane with one, but they didn't really have to hit an airplane with one because they would shoot it up and at the proper altitude, when it would go off, it would throw shrapnel out. And if they were good enough with their shots, they could throw shrapnel into one of those planes and bring it down just with the shrapnel. It is a great term when it comes to how people talk about other people. You're going to get flack from people. They're going to talk about you, and in the process of talking about you, you know that their intent is to tear you down. And the question then is, how do you deal with that? Now, we want to go to the question of why. Why do they do that to me? I am God's greatest gift to this planet. Why would anybody want to talk about me? If you're asking yourself, well, nobody would ever talk about me, that's because you've never been a pastor before. You don't have to be a pastor. You know what it takes for you to be capable of having somebody talk badly about you? You need to have a a heartbeat, and that's pretty much it. Somehow, for some reason, people in this world, Christians are not exempt to this, unfortunately, love tearing other people down with their tongues. So when you're the focus of that, how do you deal with that? Let's look at what he says. Back to verse 21 very quickly. I'm going to give you a couple of uh, suggestions here. This is intended to be a very practical kind of sermon, stuff that you can take with you and hopefully help you deal with the inevitable situations where you find out somebody's talking about you in a bad kind of way. One of the things I want you to get is you need to have selective hearing. When it comes to that, look at verse 21 again. He says, do not take to heart all the things that people say. Why is that? And the answer, well, it's kind of a complicated answer, but part of the answer is because some people are going to have bad stuff to say about you. Let me give you an example of that. Now, I know this is very difficult for you to sit out there and see me, knowing me now for a little over a year and a half, for you to imagine that anybody might ever say anything bad about me. But it happens. When I was in Edinburgh, we had a guy in our church who owned a radio station. It was an AM station. It was talk radio. And uh, one of the things that I learned from him is part of the radio business, it's kind of one of those, you go, duh, you should have known that. Uh, When they're on for 24 hours, as his was, you have to have something on the air all the time. As a rule... Uh, people are not going to just sit and listen to static on a radio station. So you need to have programming for 24 hours a day. Well, when I got to know this guy who was the owner of a radio station, I realized that keeping programming on a 24-hour station is not an easy thing to do. There's a lot of time that you got to fit stuff into there. And so one of the things that he did, he came to me and he said, listen, here's our situation. I've talked to the board. And what we would like to do is to offer to our church, he was a member of our church, He said, we'd like to offer our church time on the radio every week where we will broadcast the sermons. There were copyright issues with the music, and so they couldn't do the music part of the service. But he said, nobody's got sermons like you do, so, you know, let's do that. That wasn't a compliment, by the way. And he said, let's put them on there because I need to fill the time. 
And so we tape delayed it. And so what we preached one Sunday would be on the radio the next Sunday. Well, as soon as we started doing that, we saw an immediate bounce. People started coming and testing out our church. And attendance jumped maybe 100 people or so. Well, he saw that, and he directly attributed it to that, whether it was true or not. Probably there were many other things going on at the time that could have explained it. But he said, let's do this. He said, I have advertising through the course of the day, and uh, I'd like to give you spots. You come in and record them. We'll do some 30-second spots, and we'll do some that are a minute long. And you record them, and we'll put them in wherever we have unsold space. In other words, it gives us free advertising on, on the radio. And so the way I approached that was not necessarily promoting our church, but just kind of pointing people to spiritual realities in their lives in a practical kind of way. Well, when we did that, what happened was something totally unexpected for me. I started getting mail like crazy from the community. Now, as a rule, people do not write a note to a radio guy and say, it was great. I got stuff from people, and honestly, I started thinking, man, I hope this guy doesn't know where I live. I mean, it was hateful stuff. And the amazing thing about it was I got bunches of it over a two- or three-year period that we did that. But in the process, I never got one that said, hey, this is great. I had people come up to me once in a while, but I, what I got was these things that said, hey, man, you know this. And every one of them had something to do with what I did not say not what I did say. People thought that I should have said this about that topic. Or see, people said, you didn't go far enough with that. You should have said this. And some of them wished eternal bad stuff for me because of it. Listen to this. When you decide in your life to take a stand for Christ, you better be sure somebody's going to take a shot. It's just the way it goes. And when they do, you better know how to handle that because if you're not careful, it'll steal your joy in your Christian life. So let's see what he has to say. Again, verse 21 starts off and he says it this way, do not take to heart. Now we might say that this way. Don't listen. So let me give you three very practical suggestions on how to deal with verbal attacks against you. Here's the first one. Know the truth. Usually, the attacks that come at us are filled with untruths or half-truths. So the first step for you, if you feel like you're under attack from someone, is to make sure that you know the truth. Now, that's the first part of this, what I call having selective hearing. Basically, it centers on this one question. In your life, who defines what truth is? Let me put it to you this way. Let's say that somebody in the church decides that they're going to go on a verbal attack campaign against you. And so they get, how does that work usually? Do they call you? Oh, no. No, 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 no. That's, preacher, you're naive. You think they're going to call you directly. No, no. They go through, what do we call it? The grapevine. So they call their friends and say something like this. Well, you know, oh, sister, 
what's her name over there? She only brushes her teeth once a month. She doesn't even shower, but like once a quarter. You know that. You get around her, you can tell that girl, she don't shower. And so you put the no showering with the no brushing of the teeth, whoo, it's an experience around her. And you know, you listen to her talk long enough, every once in a while, she'll get a little colorful language that'll slip in there. And it goes on and on, all right? So that's the basic point of the gossip, gossip, and it goes out. And so it goes from the first person, the originator. We'll call that where the bomb goes off. And it goes to this first person. And they feel that their spiritual gift is sharing. That's a different kind of sharing, by the way. And it goes to somebody else. And that somebody else, they just, they're not nearly as spiritual as the first two. So they say, oh man, I've been waiting. I noticed that about that woman. Her teeth, whoo, her teeth. No one now knows. She only brushes her teeth once a month. So then she goes and calls several other people. And then finally it gets to somebody who loves you deeply. And they just feel like you should know what somebody's saying. And so they get you on the phone. Well, you know. Now, I'm not going to say who said it. Well, you chicken, why don't you say who said it? Well, I'm not going to say who said it, but this is what they're saying. They're saying you, you only brush your teeth. But now, by now, it's once a year, okay? Start off once a year, only once a year, you only brush your teeth. And, you know, you should know what people are saying about you. Now, let's take the brushing the teeth thing, okay? And I said that because I'm guessing that everybody in here brushes your teeth more than once a month, okay? If you don't, I'm sorry that I offended you this morning, Okay? It only costs about a dollar, so it's probably worth doing, okay? So, you know when they say, they're saying that you only brush your teeth once a month. Is that true of you or not? Ooh, that's a long pause. I would expect that every one of you say, that's not true. I brush my teeth at least once a week. You see, it's simple. When it comes back at you, you immediately throw up a filter that catches everything that's not true. The true stuff, you know. So if somebody calls and they said, you know, that preacher of ours, he went out dancing last night. Now I know whether I did or not. So I don't care what you say about that. That makes sense? I don't care what you say about that anyway. Well, sort of. Let me finish the sermon. I'll tell you if I care or not. Okay, so... You know the truth, and you stand on the truth, okay? That's easy. That's the first one. Before you get all emotionally invested in what people are saying, ask yourself, what's true in this? That's a huge statement that I just said because I tagged what typically happens. We get all emotionally invested when somebody says something about us. Now... I'm tired of hearing the word offended. I'm just tired of it. I hear it all the time. And what it tells me is people are getting emotionally invested in what other people are saying. Well, preacher, that, those sorry, no good Christians up there, they said that I only brush my teeth once a month. You know what my question is? Is that true? Do you brush your teeth only once a month? Well, no, it's not true. Then why does it bother you? Hold on 
to the truth. And if it's not true, let it go. Now, why don't we let it go? This is a good time for me to be realistic, okay? And for you to be realistic. Why don't we let stuff like that go? Because it matters to us what people think. Which takes me right back where we started. Our pursuit, the chase for us, is how we're perceived by the people. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. That's the first one. Know the truth. Here's the second one. Okay, this is all part of having selective hearing. If you know the truth, then stand on the truth. Now, I kind of pointed to this already. Uh, When you get an answer to the question, is that true, what they said about me or not? If it's not true, then let it go. If it is true, you stand on that and you hold to that. I had a guy one time, one of my mentors actually, and we were in a meeting and a discussion came up about the perception of some church members about a particular staff member. Here's what my mentor said to that guy. You know... You need to get to a point in your life where you recognize that some people just are not important enough to deserve to have an opinion. (laughs) And I thought, wow, that's harsh. Then I was in ministry long enough, I understood what he meant. You stand on what's true, what's not true, and those people who are interested in propagating what's not, by the way, that's the same word for propaganda, uh, they're interested in pushing out what's not true, then why would you give them space? You stand on what's true about you. You with me, everybody? Yes, no. Because if you're not, you're not going to like what's next. You're not going to like what's next anyway, probably. But here's the deal. Selective hearing. You need to know what's true. People start, you can't control what they say. So you stand on what's true. You know what's true, you stand on what's true. But here's the kicker for us. (laughs) You need to be open to new truth. This is another way of saying what my dad used to say. Nobody is smart enough to be 100% wrong. It takes a pure genius to get something totally wrong. Now, what that means is, as you hear stuff come at you, you need to know the truth. You need to stand on what's true, not get emotionally invested in all of that kind of stuff. But you need to be open that there might be some truth out there that really addresses a blind spot for you. Because if somebody's not smart enough to be all wrong, maybe they're picking up on something that you need to know about yourself if you're going to be all that God called you to be. You know, a great example of that is in the life of David. King David, that is. Well, actually, at this particular point, King David is kind of sort of ex-King David. Because his son Absalom has now deposed him from the throne. And so the one who was the man after God's own heart, the same David of David and Goliath fame, the same David the shepherd boy, the same David who was the conquering king, the same David who took over as king after Saul died, that same David has been kicked off of his throne. And he finds himself out in the back part of the wilderness of the land of Judah. And they're trying to get to the Jordan River where there's water. And in the process of doing that, David's got his chief of arms with him and his chief of staff and several other guys who are with him as they make their way around because his son has taken over the kingdom and David is on the run for his life. Finds himself back there and they come up on this place and this peasant guy comes out. Now he's from the line of Saul, which means that he you know, still has some issues apparently and well actually more than apparently because the way the story goes, by the way, this is, don't take the time, I'm not going to read it or anything, but it's in 2 Samuel chapter 16. 
And in that, as they're going through, this guy comes out, a peasant, and he starts yelling at David, insults at him. And he picks up rocks and he starts throwing at him. This guy's the king. Well, at least used to be the king. They're not sure if he's still going to be king or not. Nevertheless, this peasant guy hates him. And he's yelling at him, throwing rocks at him. And I love what David's chief of staff says. You know what? ESV says it almost exactly this way. I think I'll just go over there and cut his head off. Now let's stop for a second and let's just be real honest. When people start talking about you, isn't that a good option? Now I know that it's not really nice to think about that in church. But you do. When people start hacking on you, and people start tearing you down, and you're taking flack from them, one of the best options is to cut their head off. Well, maybe that's just my office and not yours. But anyway, in that, that's the guy who's David's chief of staff. And listen to what David says to him. I'll paraphrase it. Rotramalese for the day. No, maybe God has ordained him to this. In other words, maybe God needs me to hear something from him that I didn't think about before. I'll tell you, that's mature spirituality right there. That even those people who intend to do you harm might very well be used by God to teach you something about yourself that needs to be corrected. So you know the truth. You filter out what's not true. You stand on what you know. But you also have to be open to this new truth because somewhere in there may be something that is crippling you in your spiritual development and in your reputation. So see, it does kind of matter what they say. So let's take another step. This has to do, this whole stuff we just talked about has to do with have selective hearing. Here's a second thing I want you to get, and that is don't get your identity involved in this. Now, that's back to that emotional stuff I was talking about earlier. I I don't often say things that are profound. So when I'm about to, I like to give you a heads up so that you'll get it. Okay, So I'm about to say something that's really profound. Idolatry is a sneaky thing. What is an idol? If you think about that for a second. Most of us default to... What we find in the Old Testament, which is an idol, is a graven image of some kind representing God or some false God. And we know Scripture says you shouldn't have those, okay? Uh, But, you know, our TV people don't care about that, so we have American idols and we have other kind of idols. And so they're not really talking about those kind of graven image things. Actually, another definition, you can go look it up on the Internet or wherever you have a dictionary, but another definition for an idol kind of moves towards this basic thing, and that is it is anything to which we give inherent value beyond its logical conclusion. In other words, we look at these things or people and we hold them at a place that really should be reserved for God. Idolatry is a sneaky thing. Here's where I get that here. We tend to hold ourselves as idols 
regularly. Now, I used to preach about it this way. Most women, when they get up in the morning, this most that I've met, okay? I'm not attaching value to this. I'm just calling it like I see it, right? Most women that I know anything about, when they get up in the morning, before they're willing to go out in public, they feel the need to put on makeup, okay? And not everyone, and that's okay. I'm not putting value judgment on. I'm just telling you, most women that I've known, that's the deal. They don't want to go out in public where they're going to see other people and be seen without paint on the barn, okay? I get that. Now, why is that? And the reason for that is kind of a healthy reason is I, I have a certain amount of how they're put together. It says, I just feel like that's important, okay? My mother-in-law used to tell her three daughters, if they were sick, well, just go put your makeup on. You'll feel so much better. I, she tried putting makeup on me when I was sick when we first got married. doesn't work. It okay? didn't make me feel better at all, for the record. So it's one thing to have a healthy sense of self-esteem. It's another thing to idolize yourself. And it's another thing totally to give someone else that kind of position in your life. But idolatry is a sneaky thing. We can sit in church all day long and say, I would never do that. But we do it all the time when it comes to situations where people are hacking on us. Let's say you're the one who's the subject of the no brushing the teeth and the no bath thing. When you get that report... How intrusive is that piece of information in your thinking for the next day or so? When that person who is alleged to have said it in the first place walks in the room, how quickly can you get off of what was said and your feelings attached to that and back onto what they were on before that person walked in? The reality is that when people start hacking on us, we take a huge section of our brain and we hand it to them and we say, you can control this part of me now. And in doing so, we totally alienate God in our lives. Because God says, I love you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Before I even formed you in the womb, I knew you. And then let's just go to that one passage of Scripture that captures it so well for us. John chapter 3, verse 16. It's one we teach our one of kids almost immediately. We teach our kids in Sunday school. It's the one most of us could quote. For God so loved, what? The world. Now, you can take the world. We, we kind of like to generalize that, and it's kind of written that way. But the thrust of the whole Bible, the thrust of all of salvation history is you can take the world out at collective term and insert it in an individual context. By the way, it has to be done that way. Your mama can't get you saved by believing for you. You have to choose to do that. So it's a very individual thing for us to come to Christ and understand that he loves us. So I say to people in one-on-one evangelistic kind of visits, God so loved, you take the world, set it off to the side, and put your name in there. God so loved Mark that he gave his only son who died was persecuted, even though he didn't deserve it, died a cruel, horrible death on a cross to cover my sins so I could have a relationship 
with God. Now, what does that say about how God sees me? But you see, when we get to that issue about somebody said something, and we hand them our brain, and we get all emotionally invested in that, we have raised them to a level higher than God. We take their word for it much more than we take God's word for it. And that's wrong. That's that theological term that surfaces again. That's crazy. Why would you substitute what God says about you for some knucklehead who wants to lie about you? Makes no sense. That's idolatry in a sneaky kind of way. And yet I run into it all the time in my ministry. People whose spouse or their mother or their father or some significant person in their life at some point said, You don't matter. You're not good for anything. One mother said to a daughter, I don't even know why I had you in the first place. Those kind of things, they get past our head down into our hearts and they start making a difference in us. And we start believing that garbage. And that person then raises in their position in our life. And God takes a back seat again. It's important to know the truth and stand on the truth and be open to new truth, but it's also important that you don't get your identity invested in this just because some knucklehead said it doesn't make it true and it doesn't mean you need to swallow that garbage. So don't get invested in that. So let me give you a couple of quick suggestions tied to that. Don't get hung up on what other people think. That's verse 21 again. Don't take heart. Let me just read it again. Do not take to heart all the things that people say. In other words, as I said before, don't listen to that. Don't internalize it. Just because they said it, don't bring it in and let it find a home in your life because it will affect how you live your life if you're not careful. Secondly, Don't give anybody authority that they don't have. You accept what they say about you. You've given them authority. And they don't deserve that. By the way, when you get to this, only God has that kind of authority in your life. When you get to this point and you understand the stuff we're talking about, you begin to appropriate that into your life, it is the most liberating kind of living that you could ever imagine. People, I get it all the time. It's just part of the ministry, I guess. So-and-so doesn't think that. I had somebody tell me last week, you need to shave that thing off of your face. You look ridiculous. Hey, I've been looking ridiculous for 51 years. It doesn't bother me another day. But you see, if I let that kind of a statement weasel its way into my heart, then I start worried about what people think about what I look like. Listen, never mind. I won't even go there. It's a liberating way to live, to recognize that you can't let those people have authority in your life. And don't fall off the horse on the other side, but for sure, don't just fall into that trap. Now, I've spent 35 minutes saying the same thing two different ways. When it comes down to this, people are going to take shots. You're going to get flack. You're going to be people hacking on you just like the kid with the log in the back with a hatchet. It's going to happen. 
So keep it where it belongs. Nobody is smart enough to be all right about that stuff except God. And you listen to him. Here's the one last thing. I'll take two minutes to explain this and we're done. This is verse 22. Just about the time I get you comfortable and saying, okay, I don't have to listen to all that, verse 22 comes along and smacks us right in the face. And that is, you got a problem. Okay? Now, I'm the one hacking on you, right? You have a problem. Here's what he says, verse 21. Essentially, I'm not going to read it again. I'm just tell you basically what he's saying. He says, don't take it in when people say this stuff about you, especially not somebody like your own slave. The idea here is... That if I own this person, uh, we're back way back in Old Testament time, slavery was part of uh, their culture and all that stuff, so that's the context here. But the idea was my slave is smart enough not to be hacking on me where I can hear it because he knows that I have control over him. And what the writer of, Hebrew, of Ecclesiastes says is, no, he's not. Just because you own him, he's still going to talk badly about you. And if it's true of him, how much more true is it of everybody else? That's verse 21. Verse 22 comes along and says, by the way, you're just like them. Verse 22, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. That throws me back to the first part of the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. In other words, the writer of the book now comes to us and he says, you're just like those other people. You talk badly about other people. Is that true or not true? Okay, move along, preacher. (laughs) You see how true it is? And so that just throws me right back. Well, then, if it's true of me, how can I hold anybody else to a different standard? It's going to happen. Yeah, it is. So it makes a difference about who you listen to. If I had time, I would take you to Romans chapter 7. You can go there. That's where Paul says, the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. The things that I... Want to do? I find myself not being able to do them. Oh, wretched man that I am, what am I going to do? And then he answers his own question. It is the question that is answered for us today. The same answer applies. Praise be to God for Jesus Christ. You know what? It doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. It matters what he says. And he says, I love you. And if you'll let me, I'll give you a life that will blow your mind. And you won't have to live at the mercy of the knuckleheads who talk. Bow your heads with me. Here's the prayer. Here's the invitation. What place does Jesus Christ have in your life? Are you more worried about your reputation or his? With that in mind, what do you do with this message? Just plan the odds here. I'm going to guess that 90% of us in here have a recent experience where we know somebody has said something about us that's not true. Do you get all emotionally invested in that? Do you get all offended? Or are you able to just kind of park it and say, praise God for Jesus Christ who says, I love you and I forgive you for your own sin. And it matters what I believe about you. If you don't know Jesus... You don't have him in your life. That's the place you start. He died for you to give you a life that's liberating in every way, but especially from the curse of sin. If you don't know him, today's the day. You can just get up, walk down this aisle. We'll talk about it. I fully endorse the life that he offers. 
Many of us have accepted that life, but we've chosen to park it and it's a Sunday-only thing and then we live day-to-day as if he never really said anything like that to us. And we give people control and we give people power and we live lives less than what he designed. So what's it going to be? you got a choice. What do you do? Lord, take the time. Change us in Jesus' name.